Well, hey guys, thanks so much for tuning into the Harbor Teaching Podcast. We hope that the messages you will hear are both uplifting and challenging. And now, welcome to the Harbor. Great to see everybody here. Thank you for rolling out to the Harbor. I am grateful for each and every one of y'all who are here with us tonight. Um, we are starting a new series tonight. Are you excited about that? Clap if you're excited about a new series. I always feel like there's a little bit something special when we, when we get to launch into something new. Um, and man, I was telling the, the, our, our team before the service tonight, I've just been super encouraged this week, just seeing God do so many special and amazing things in our community. Um, even last two weeks as we uh, studied through the story of Gideon, Caleb and Joey did such an amazing job with that. You guys crushed it, so thank you guys for coming out and, and leading so strong with those two messages. And I'm ready to uh, dive into something new, and I believe God's going to do something special in this series. One really quick announcement first. Um, we actually, uh, at Calvary Chapel, we are starting a, uh, a new uh, class. Well, it's, it's not a new class. We've run it before, but we're relaunching it. Um, it's called Conquer, and it's a battle plan for sexual purity. I know I'm like diving in and throwing a really intense announcement at you, so I trust that you can roll with me. Um, but it is a uh, men's study, and it's starting this Monday. It'll be Monday nights at 7 p.m. And like I said, kind of an intense subject, but um, it's no secret um, that, uh, that sexual purity is something that is a great struggle for, for many people, men and women. But uh, this study is something that has helped a lot of guys walk towards that freedom. And so if that's something that you feel like God is, is leading you towards, whether it's a, a porn addiction or whether it's something else, um, and you want uh, just help and encouragement and support as you walk uh, towards that purity, um, you can uh, sign up confidentially. If you want to text CONQUER to that number right there, 321-312-0788, that's 312-0788. Or if you go on Calvary's website and you just search for CONQUER, you'll be able to find it there as well. Sound good? Awesome. Okay, we are starting this series. It is a four-week series on Abraham. Now, why are we studying about Abraham? Well, our vision and our dream for the harbor is that we would see a community of young adults here, but all across the Space Coast, who fall in love with Jesus and who want to pursue him. And part of that is us studying God's word and getting to know it and falling in love with the scriptures. Now, the scripture, it is a library. There is a great uh, amount of, of, of words and verses in, in, in the scripture, but it is all about one story, and it is all pointing to Jesus. But Abraham is a key, key component in that story leading to Jesus. So it's an important thing for us to study. Now, if you don't know Jesus, I want to address you for a moment because we always say um, whether you are coming in and you are skeptical or you are just searching or not sure, we always say that you're welcome here. And one thing that, you know, if, if you are in that place where you're maybe on the outside looking in, to be honest with you, the first few chapters of Genesis are probably some of the places that trip you up the most. 
because there's some very fascinating wild stuff in there. The creation of the world, how mankind fell into sin, the flood, the Tower of Babel. And so, listen, that stuff is, is a lot of the stuff that many people are tripped up by. And here's what I believe. I really believe in the scriptures 100%. I believe it is the word of God. And I also believe that you don't have to check your brain at the door. You don't have to stop thinking, but that it's actually logical, historical, and scientific. But I also want to say, man, if you're at a place where that is a struggle for you, I totally respect that because there are many things about, uh, especially those first few chapters, that are challenging for people. And so if that is you, man, I would love to talk with you and, and hear from you. I could provide some answers, but I also hopefully desire to ask questions and listen. Sometimes I'm good at that, sometimes I'm not. But all that to be said, even if the first 11 chapters of Genesis trip you up, Abraham is actually someone that many people can get on board with. Because Abraham is actually celebrated as a father of the faith for over half of the people in the world. Jews, Christians, and Muslims all look at Abraham and say, he is one of the fathers of our faith. I was actually at a coffee shop uh, a couple days ago, and I was talking to the barista. It was Drippers. That's my go-to coffee shop. And, uh, and I was talking to the barista, and she said that her and her family was Jewish. And I, I let her know we're about to study Abraham. And she said, Abraham, like, that's my guy. And, and I was like, you're right. It is your guy. It's my guy, too. And, and so Everyone, almost half the world or over half the world actually has a claim to Abraham as being a father of their nation. So here's the plan for tonight. I want to first off, I want us to meet Abraham. I want to just give us an introduction into this man. Then second, I want to share kind of a big idea of what we can learn. And then third, we're going to dive in and learn some practical application points about that big idea. Sound good? Okay, cool. I'm going to pray really quick and we're going to dive in. God, Please speak to us tonight. We want to open up your word and hear from you. God, I don't want to speak my opinions. I want to speak revelation from you. And so please speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let's meet Abraham. Three fast facts about Abraham. Number one, Abraham did not know God growing up. We learn in Joshua that that Abraham's father, his name is Terah, he was the father of Abraham and Nahor, and they served other gods. So Abraham did not grow up in a Christian home. He did not grow up fearing God. In fact, he grew up worshiping other idols. So that's the first fact. The second fact is that Abraham and his wife Sarah had no kids. So we see in Genesis 11, by the way, if you have a Bible, you can turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis 12, uh, first book of the Bible, only a few pages from the very beginning, Genesis 12. But in Genesis 11, we see Abraham and Nahor were both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. But Sarai was unable to become pregnant and had no children. Now, Quick pause slash side note. Notice I've been calling him Abraham and his wife Sarah. We just read in the scripture up there, Abram and Sarai. 
They actually have an encounter with God later in life, and God kind of expands their names from Abram to Abraham and from Sarai to Sarah. So I'll probably switch in and out, same person. Now, they had no kids, and this was a really big deal back then. Like nowadays, our culture, we think kids are very cute, but we also think they are very inconvenient. But when you live in a place and you are like, like that ancient civilization, they viewed kids as their inheritance. They viewed kids as their legacy. They viewed kids as their free labor, right? Like if you have a bunch of cows in a field, you're like, let's make as many of these kids as we can to put them to work. And that's how it happened. And for those who did not have kids, it was actually viewed as a curse from God. There was an ancient Hebrew saying that said that the man who was most cursed was the man who had no wife. And the man who was the second most cursed is the man who had a wife but no children. Now, this is not actually biblical. In fact, it is far from the belief of God or the belief of the Bible. But sadly, man's traditions can sometimes call things curses that aren't curses, and man can kind of add to the things of God. But here's the problem. Abraham and Sarai, they had no kids. Now, on top of that, Abram's name actually means exalted father. So to add insult to injury, this man named exalted father has no kids. So, I want to make it practical for a second because I wonder if there's anyone in here who has ever felt disqualified from the things of God. You've ever felt like because of your personality or because of your giftings or skill sets or maybe even because of your ethnicity or family of origin or your past that you feel like, man, I don't think I belong to the things of God like someone else does. Well, here's what's so amazing is that man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And as followers of Jesus, our community, what we strive to do is not to look at things or rate things the way humans would, but we want to rate things the way God does. And we want to celebrate the potential that God has placed in every single person. And here's the reality of the situation. God, this story the story of Abram and Sarai, spoiler alert, is a story that of two people, everyone else, they were viewed as cursed, but God blessed them beyond their wildest dreams. And so don't feel disqualified from the things of God, because this is a story that says God doesn't care about that. So the, the third thing that I want us to realize about Abram's story, the, these are fast facts, we're meeting Abraham here, is that Abraham's story starts with a promise. If you are in Genesis 12, you can look with me or you can look on the screen and it says this, the Lord had said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous so that you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. Now this verse is foundational to understanding the Bible. 
This is one of the most important texts to launch us into the story of the Bible. And in this verse, God gives Abraham one command and then he makes a series of promises. Here's the command. The command is leave everything you know and start walking. And I'm not going to tell you where. Just go. Like take your wife and head out and I'll let you know when you get there. Like that's a, that's a scary command, but here's the promises that God makes. God says, first, I'm going to show you the land that I'm sending you to. Second, I will bless you and make you into a great nation. Third, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. Now, this is interesting. I'm going to take a, a quick side note here. We, we obviously live in the United States, and the United States is not a perfect country. In fact, incredibly flawed country. And, and we have a lot of really horrible, horrible things in our past. Slavery, segregation, genocide, all of these things pop up. And so anyone who says, like, the U.S. is, is perfect, like, I don't know about that. But if you look at our history, you can see that among the nations, we actually have been given blessing and favor by God. And, and I believe a, a huge part of that is actually because of this verse that the United States has always sought to bless the Jewish people and bless Israel. And I pray that we continue to do that because this is still true. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. And then eventually, God says, all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. Now, I said that this passage in this verse was significant to understanding the whole Bible. And the reason is because the rest of your Bible is about God bringing to fulfillment those promises. Even if you look at the last book of the Bible, Revelation 7, look on the screen with me. John has a vision in Revelation 7 and it says, After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, that's Jesus, clothed in white robes, that means that they are pure, that Jesus has made them pure, with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So what this means is that, that God promised Abraham, through you, every nation is going to be blessed. From Abraham came Jesus, and what we see here is God's picture for the entire world that people from every tribe and tongue and nation become followers of Jesus, and God fulfills the promise at the end of time. So literally, this promise that we just read, not just something God threw out there, but a significant part of the story that we believe and how history is actually moving forward. So, Back to the story. Abraham leaves his country and he heads to the land of Canaan. And when he arrives, God says, this is the land. So God is already fulfilling the promises that he has made. And actually, if you're reading, you're like actually thinking God is doing pretty good. He's actually moving very quickly. Because like two verses later, he's already fulfilled one of the four promises. You're like, this is going great. God's moving quick. But here's the problem the rest of the promises are going to take just a little bit longer to fulfill. 
So this is what leads me to the big idea. We've met Abraham. Now let's look at the big idea. The big idea of our text tonight is this. Jot it down. Faith lives in the space between the promise and the fulfillment. Faith lives in the space between the promise and the fulfillment. You see, Abraham is considered one of the fathers of faith in Scripture. In other words, God made these promises to him, and then Abraham believed God and believed that God will fulfill them. And you and I, we are also called to live by faith. In fact, it says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For those who would draw near to God must believe that he exists and rewards those who diligently seek him. In other words, if you want to connect with God, if you want to draw near to God, you're going to need faith to do it. Now, I I was thinking about faith, and I thought that faith is kind of one of those words that Christians like throw around a lot. But sometimes, like, when I hear it, I'm not even sure. Like, I know what it means, but I don't know what it means. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like, like I know how Wi-Fi works, but I don't actually know how Wi-Fi works. Like, I know that when I see the three little bars and they're all black instead of that little gray color, I know that things are good. I know I can get on YouTube and watch my golf instructional videos. But, like, I do not know how Wi-Fi works. I understand that I plugged something into the wall at my house and my Wi-Fi works. That's it. And there are engineers in here and probably just other smart human beings that could actually explain to me how Wi-Fi works. And the problem is you could do the best job ever explaining it to me and I would still not know how Wi-Fi works. I just wouldn't, it just wouldn't be there. It's not going to connect with me. So I hope, hopefully though, I'm going to try to explain a little bit about faith and I hope that we can all lock in and understand how it works. Hopefully you guys are better at learning about faith than I would be at Wi-Fi. But in order to understand faith, we have to understand the promises that God made to us. So I want you to think for a moment about the fact that God has actually made promises to you. Like the creator of the universe has spoken things that apply to your life. Now, The the first type of promises I want to talk about is what I call foundational promises. Imagine the foundation of a house, the walls, the roof of a house. These are the key things that we want to build our lives on. God has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. God has said, anyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. God has said, Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, even though you die, you will live. God has said, I will work all things together for the good of those who love me and are called according to my purposes, that I am faithful and I will see to completion the work that I started in you. God has said that I, that your trials and your suffering, they will produce hope and endurance and character in your life. And Jesus said, I am coming back and I am making all things new. These are the house. This is the promises that we are building our lives on. And this is like, you can stamp it, you can lock it in, baby. This is happening. But I also believe that there are other promises that God makes to us. And and I, I call these personal promises. Now, the reason that I think that we need to think about this imagery of a house is because 
The, the foundational promises are for everyone, and then there are specific things that God speaks to us and leads us. And this is like the furniture in the house. And, and, and what I mean by that is it says in Psalms 34 that God will des desires to give us the desires of our heart. And there are many other areas where it talks about God leading us to dream and to seek him for vision in our lives. And so there are things about your future and plans that God has for you. And he invites us to dream about them and seek him to see them come true. So this is promises, right? We're talking about promises, but the reality is that it takes faith to believe the promises because right now many of the promises don't feel like they're happening. You guys with me on this? Like even the list of foundational promises that I just listed, I don't know about you guys, but some days it is hard for me to believe that God is with me and he's not forsaking me. Like in the middle of the trial, it does not feel like God is building hope and perseverance and endurance in my life. And sometimes when it comes to the promises, it literally feels like I, I'm not on the mailing list for God's promises. Like, like my package got sent some, somewhere else. Like God lost my address. And so this is where faith comes in because it's a case of us having to recognize there is a gap between God promising something and me seeing it fulfilled with my eyes. And so I want to, with that in mind, dive into the third part of our teaching where I want to share with you five practical things that we can take away about the promises of God from the story of Abraham. The first one I want you to write down is this, that God's promises take time to ship. God's promises take time to ship. If you're in Genesis 12, you can turn with me to Genesis chapter 15, just a couple of pages over. And in Genesis chapter 15, it says in verse 1, Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abraham in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abraham, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. Now, Here's what I want you to know about some time later. Some time later is actually 14 years later. So Abraham has been living away from his family in a tent with his wife and his possessions in a land he doesn't know for 14 years, waiting on God to bring about the rest of the promise. And God appears to him and he's like, don't be afraid. I will protect you. Your reward will be great. So God is still promising to be with him, but Abraham is still in the waiting game. And I love, I love what Abraham says here. Abraham is so honest with God. And he says in verse 2, Abraham replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings? Don't you love the honesty? Like, I appreciate your blessings, but at the same time, they are no good to me. He says, what good are your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eleazar of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit my wealth. Have you ever been there before where you're like realizing that God has immensely blessed you? But at the same time, you're like, God, I really believed for this other thing and it hasn't happened yet. You almost feel guilty because you're like, I shouldn't be even upset because you've blessed me so much, but, but I'm still waiting on something. 
And in Abraham's case, he was even waiting on God to, God's promise. Like God had said he was going to have a son, and that son was going to be to, to make him a great nation. So he's waiting on a promise of God. And he actually tries to bargain with God. He's like, God, it's not going to be my son. It's going to be my servant. And here's what God says, verse 4. The Lord said to him, no, your servant will not be your heir. For you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have, an immeasurable and innumerable amount of descendants. But here's the thing, 14 years later, and God's promises are still buffering for Abraham. They're still loading. And I wish I could say that this is an anomaly and this never ever happens in the scripture, but if you look at it, over and over again, God makes a promise to someone, and then it takes a really long time for it to fulfill. David was anointed king, and then 13 years later, he actually was appointed king. Moses was called to lead his people, and he had to wait 40 years in a wilderness in order to do so. Even Jesus himself, born to save the world, but 30 years before his ministry began, the Apostle Paul called to preach to the nations, and he had to spend three years in an intensive wilderness discipleship season. And so over and over again, we see this example of God laying a vision or a dream on someone's life, and then it taking forever to fulfill. And here's the truth that I think is so prevalent for our generation is that I have experienced and seen many young adults who believe God has placed something in their life, but have gotten impatient in waiting for it and sometimes try to take matters in their own hands, sometimes even bailing on the whole dream because it's just taking too long. And here's the thing, God's promises are going to take a long time to load sometimes. And, and, and this is great news, but it's also really bad news. Like, it's bad news because nobody likes to wait, right? Waiting is legitimately the worst, especially when God has given you vision. But the beautiful aspect of it is that in the waiting, you discover that God is actually enough. Because think about this for a second. If God gave you everything you desired... The, the career and the finances and the spouse and the kids and all of it. You would still be you. And you would still have your same fears, same frustrations, same personality defects, same everything. And you would still, in that moment, need to have God in your life. And so in the waiting, what we discover is that God has given us certain visions and dreams for his glory and to move his story forward. But in the waiting, we discover that God is actually enough. So that's the first thing I want you to know is that God's promises take a long time to ship. The second thing is that God's promise delivery system often looks different than we expect. God's promise delivery system looks different than we expect. See, here's what happens. 
when we believe that God has made a promise to us or even when we read something in scripture, so often what we do is we start to grab the Sharpie and draw in all the lines and figure out everything about the who, what, where, when, and why of God's promises. But in reality, so often it looks different than what we expect. Here's a, a message that doesn't preach very well. Abraham died without seeing many of his promises fulfilled. Like that one's not exciting. No one's like, amen, let's hear that one again. Like keep going. But it's true. It actually says in Hebrews, God writes this and he says, uh, it's up on the screen, Hebrews chapter 11, all these people died, meaning Abraham and Sarah and others, still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised. Again, that's not preaching well. No one's like, this is my life verse. This is the one I'm putting on the coffee mug. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it from a distance and welcomed it. And see, to us or to our world, we would say that's a failure. They didn't receive the promise. But listen, to God, the fact that they had the faith in the promise was the greatest success. Because God even says if they had longed for the country they came from, they could have gone back. In other words, they could have said, God, I'm giving up on the faith. I'm throwing in the towel. I'm done. I can't wait any longer. But they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. If you want God to look at you and be like, I'm not ashamed of him, then have faith and believe in what God has spoken even when it seems impossible. That's the person that when God says, man, I'm, I'm excited and I'm proud to be walking with them. So God's promises, they may look different than you expect. And, and each one of us have different things that we're praying for and hoping for and dreaming for, whether it be relationships or friendship or a, a career or even healing in our bodies or healing in someone else's bodies. And I believe that as we cling to God and as we cling to his promises, there will be things that we see that God does that are miraculous. There will be things that we see that God does that are beyond even our dreams. Like I did not expect that or plan that. God just blew my mind. And there will be things in our journey of faith that we are disappointed because they didn't look like the way we thought they would look. But God is still faithful and he's still honored by our faith. That's number two. Number three is this, and this one is super encouraging to me. Our doubts don't disqualify us. Our doubts don't disqualify us. We're going to dive back into the story of Abraham for a second. If you want to look at chapter 17, Genesis chapter 17, if you're, if you're turning in your Bibles, Genesis 17, verse 1, and it says, When Abram was 99 years old. Now pause. When God first appeared to him, he was 75. Then we just learned God appeared to him 14 years later. Now, 10 years after that, Abraham has been waiting for 24 years for God to fulfill the promise. It's a long time. That's like God promised you that you were going to own all of Melbourne and all of Palm Bay, but you're still in the one-bedroom apartment with a hamster 24 years later. You're like, God, I am waiting, and it's not happening. Like, nothing is happening. 
And so when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between you and me and you and may multiply you greatly. Now, later in the verse, that's where God is actually changing Abraham's name from Abram to Abraham. And he says, look at, down at the, the fourth line there. He says, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. In other words, God shows up 24 years later and he doesn't just keep the same promise. He actually ups the promise. He's like, I got a better promise for you. Like nothing's happened that you can see on the first one, but I'm giving you more. Like that's crazy. Now, now here's what I love because the Bible is so just real and realistic. Look at verse 17 with me. Then Abraham fell on his face. That sounds good. He's being reverent. And laughed and said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? My wife is 90. I'm 100. It ain't happening, God. The ship has sailed. And Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. We're going to learn about Ishmael next week. But again, Abraham presenting to God an alternative. God said, no. But Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. Isaac means laughter, because you laughed when you heard about what God was going to do. And he says, I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant. Now, what I love about this moment is that Abraham is so discouraged. He's not even crying. He's not mourning. He's not weeping. He's in the laughing stage. Like, it's like, you ever had a day so bad, you're like, I'm just laughing now. Like, it's, it's funny because it's that bad. Like, that's where he's at. He's at that moment. He's laughing at God. But here's what's so beautiful. I told you before that throughout the scripture and throughout the New Testament, Abraham is held up as a, a hallmark of faith. He's the father of faith. And yet we just saw that the man who is held up as the pinnacle of faith had doubts. Not, not only that, we're going to see later, he had a ton of doubts and a ton of issues. We're going to learn about that next week. But here's what I love. It is that when we have a seed of faith in our life, even when it is surrounded by a soil of doubt, God says that seed of faith is enough. Jesus said, I don't need a lot of faith. I just need the faith as small as a mustard seed. And maybe there are things in your life that you are doubting and you are discouraged about. And you are like, if I weigh my doubts compared to my beliefs, my belief is tiny. And God's like, that's okay. I don't need a lot of faith. I just need a little faith and I can do something powerful with a little faith. So if you're feeling like giving up, hold on to that little bit of faith because God can do something amazing. And I love the story of when a man came to Jesus with a little bit of faith and he said, God, I believe, but just help my unbelief. It's a beautiful prayer to pray. All right, we're getting close to the end here. The fourth thing that I want you to write down is this. It's time to dream again. It's time to dream again for God's story and God's glory. Now, this idea of it's time to dream again, I got this idea from my guy, John Mark Comer, but the idea here is that God was doing something in the world 
and he invited Abraham to be a part of it. Now for you and I, God is still doing something in the world. He's still doing something on the space coast. And he's inviting us to be a part of it. And so I want to create some space for about three to five minutes for us just to sit in the quiet and for us to take a moment and ask God, God, what do you want to do with my life for your story and for your glory? And, and Shauna Kay is going to come up and, and she's going to play some keys for us so that we can have a little bit of background music while that is happening. But, but here's what I want to encourage you. Th this is not necessarily like bucket list time, okay? Now, I have a bucket list, and I think bucket lists are great. Like, I have golf courses that I want to play. Katie and I have traveling places that we want to go to. What One day when my son grows up a little bit, we're so excited to buy him a puppy. Like, like there's, there's, there's beautiful bucket list things. But, but this, is, this is taking a moment and saying, God, I know you are doing something. And what I'm asking you is to actually speak to me. How do you want me to be a part of your story for your glory? And I was going to give you some examples. Maybe think about this or maybe think about this. But I don't want to do that because I don't want to necessarily influence or try to like suggest something. I want you and God's Holy Spirit to be speaking to you. But I will say this. I will say this. Some of you, when God begins to speak and encourage you, you're going to feel like what God's saying is too small and insignificant. Nah, that couldn't be it because it just doesn't seem important. And I want to encourage you, don't despise the day of small beginnings. And if God's laying some, a vision on your heart that seems tiny or insignificant, that's okay. Be faithful with that little seed of faith. Some of you, maybe you're going to feel like, man, it feels like what God is speaking to me is just mundane and boring. It doesn't seem exciting or extravagant at all. But if that's what God is laying on your heart, then, then, then pursue that. And some of you, it may seem like what God is calling you to is really big and really scary. And my encouragement to you would be to, to take a step of faith to say, God, if you're laying it on my heart, man, I, I, I want to pursue it no matter how scary. So, Shauna Kay is going to play. And just for the next three to five minutes, going to be a little awkward because it's going to be just a lot of people in a room in the quiet. But we're just going to spend some time hearing from God and saying, God, you're at work. What, how do you want me to be a part? So let's, let's listen to God. I'm believing by faith that many people in here, God spoke a direction or an encouragement to them. And... I want to say if, if you did believe that, if you, if you did feel like God spoke something to you about a, a vision for what he has for your life, I want to encourage you to tell somebody. And again, maybe it's a small thing, a mundane thing, or maybe it's a big thing. But I want to encourage you if maybe you feel like God didn't speak anything to you. And I don't want you to think that you're bad or unholy or disqualified. Because sometimes when we're on the trajectory that God has for us, God doesn't always come and say, keep going. Sometimes he just leaves it to us to continue with the path he walked. There was many years where Abraham heard nothing, and he still kept walking in faith. And so if that was you, 
and you, you didn't necessarily get anything, just keep on pursuing, keep on leaning in. You're not disqualified. There's not, there's not something wrong with you. All right, we're going to close with this. I have one more thing that I want to share with you about faith and about God's promises, and that's this, that God is personally committed to fulfilling his promises. Now, I told you that Abraham had three encounters with God. We learned about each one of those three. And in the second one, God makes a promise to Abraham, and Abraham honestly asks a very legitimate question. Here's what it is on the screen in Genesis 15. He says, Oh Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? In other words, how am I to know that the promises that you've given me will come true? And God makes a very strange request to him. It's strange to us. It actually would have been somewhat normal to him. God says, go and find a lamb and a goat and a bull. And for all you vegan folks out there, I apologize for this part. But he says, kill the lamb and the goat and the bull and cut them in two and lay them in two lines. Now again, super weird, super random. But at the time, this was actually a way that people back then agreed to covenants and to contracts together. They didn't have DocuSign. They didn't have, you know, things that you signed. So the way they did it was there would be this, two, this animal split in two. And the two parties would walk through the animal together. And that was the way that they signed or approved the contract. And here was the thing. The reason they walked through this, this row of, 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 of two animals split in two is to say, may it be to me like it is to these animals if I break this contract. In other words, like I'm committing to this with my life. I'm saying that I'm signing off on this. So with that in mind, I want you to think about this. The two people walked together and that's how they ratified the covenant or ratified the contract. Now, here's the story. Genesis 15, verse 12, it says, As the sun was going down, Abram fell into a deep sleep. Keep that in mind. It's a deep sleep. And a terrifying darkness came over him. And after the sun came down and darkness fell, Abram saw a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between the halves of the carcasses. So the Lord made a covenant with Abram that day and said, I have given this land to your descendants all the way from the borders of Egypt to the Euphrates. Now something special happened in this covenant signing. And the special thing was that God put Abram to sleep and he walked through the carcasses alone. In other words, God was saying to Abraham, I am not counting on your faithfulness for this promise. I'm counting on my faithfulness for this promise. All you have to do is receive it, and I'm going to make it happen. It's not going to be both of us. It's me personally investing into it. Now, that's really cool. It's a great story, very awesome, and it's encouraging to know that God fulfills his promises. But this is Holy Week. Tomorrow we are celebrating Good Friday, three days from now, Easter Sunday. But this is Thursday. Thursday of Holy Week was the night when Jesus had his 12 disciples in the upper room and they took communion together. And Jesus at that time said, this is symbolic of 
the new covenant that I am introducing to you. Now, God does the same thing with Jesus as he did with Abraham. Because we learned last week, Joey said it so eloquently, Jesus is 100% man, 100% God, and 100% savage. That's what Joey said. But Jesus, as 100% man and 100% God, he hung on the cross and he died for our sins. And God made a covenant with mankind through Jesus. And it's the same type of covenant. God is saying that he is taking all the responsibility and all the weight of the covenant. And that the covenant is not about our faithfulness or our works, but it's about God's faithfulness and God's work. And all we have to do is receive it. And what we have to receive is that Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins and that now he invites us, the risen Savior invites us into a new life where we are following after Jesus where we are pursuing him. He is our Lord and our Savior, and we live the life that God has for us. God is invested in fulfilling his promises. So as you walked in, you were given a communion cup. Now you understand a little bit more about what that means. But before we take communion, I just want to take a moment and just ask everyone to bow their heads and close their eyes, because before we take communion, I want to make sure that everyone is is right with God. Before we take communion, we are invited to examine our hearts and to confess any known sin that we have to God and seek repentance on it. I want to encourage you, maybe there are some people in here that would say that they don't even know Jesus or they have walked away from God and and, and they're far from him. And I want to remind you, Jesus, he died on the cross for your sins so that you could have life so that you could have a new start to life and so that God could walk you in the path that he has for you. And so if there is anyone here that wants to follow Jesus for the first time or that wants to even rededicate their life to Jesus, I want to encourage you to take a moment and do that. Thanks so much for spending time with us. If you'd like to know more about The Harbor, please follow us on Instagram at wearetheharbor. Also, if you need prayer, feel free to send us a DM. Otherwise, tune in next time.